Good morning. It is a privilege to walk through the scriptures together. Uh, we finished our series through 2 Timothy last week. If you missed any of those, you're welcome to get online and uh, you can catch up. And I, I pray that that would be, I so appreciate uh, Daryl and those that help record our services for us. Uh, and I, my prayer is that that would be a resource for you uh, in the future. Uh, so we remember those highlights of praising God and thanking God through seasons of suffering and hardship, a faithfulness to be making disciples, fulfilling the ministry that the Lord has given us, whether young or older. My hope for today and next Sunday as we'll be entering in this small little series in Psalm 100 and Psalm 138 called Thanksgiving Theology is that during this time of year, this holiday season that can become increasingly rapid in its demands upon us, that we would steady our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, that we would be able to appreciate what the Lord is doing on a daily basis and not get so carried away that we miss what God is doing all around us, and that we would distort or we would be so busy that we would forget that our ministry charge remains the same, to be a people for the glory of God who are committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in a very real way, when we leave our service today, you are being deployed as a missionary into your families this week. We are called to be making disciples in our families in every different area of life that the Lord would call us and enable us to walk. But this season, this Thanksgiving season, can be a difficult time for many. It's a celebratory time, it's a joyful time, but it can also be a burdensome time. Some of you will look at the, the Thanksgiving table, and for the first time, you'll not see a familiar face. That's no longer with us. Others, maybe it's been decades, and yet you'll still remember the presence that the holiday season causes us to do to gather together and realize they're not here anymore. Sometimes this can be a very emotionally difficult season, and yet the goodness of Christ and the goodness of the Christian faith and the goodness of the Word of God is that He ministers to us even in seasons of rejoicing and busyness or seasons for some of of reflections of grief and sadness. Our Lord sustains us through all of those. So my prayer for you, my hope for you, and myself as well, is that we would maintain a spirit of thanksgiving every day. And after we finish this little two-part series, we're going to walk into this Advent season, this, which means arrival or welcoming, that we would walk through December, this five-part series with selected texts in Hebrews, as we just, every Sunday, we remember to slow down. Every Sunday, we remember to slow down. Remember that the king that's coming, the one that we celebrate that comes, he is perfectly the prophet, the priest, the king, the sacrifice and the shepherd for us. We slow down and we await the arrival of our king who reigns at the right hand of the Father today forevermore. And every Sunday that passes is one Sunday closer till we see our king again. But until then, we fulfill our charge to be a people that are about making disciples of Jesus Christ for all generations unashamedly. So as we come to this psalm, Psalm 100, we're going to notice two tenets, two key portions that you and I are called to embrace and, and to devour if we hope to be a people that have a hearts of thanksgiving. If we want a sound theology of thanksgiving, we need to understand these two truths that are woven through Psalm 100, called famously the Old Hundredth. 
this incredible psalm particularly written for a time of thanksgiving that was read at synagogal times and, and in, in Christian churches for hundreds of years, the hundredth psalm. So turn there in your Bibles with me, if you would, as we notice first and foremost that a sound theology of thanksgiving, it maintains that God is the direct object of our thanks. A sound theology of thanksgiving maintains that God is the direct object of our thanks. Now, some of us, I know without a doubt, even in a room this size, that some of us would hear that and say, how could I possibly give God thanks? You have no idea what I've been through. What the psalmist does is it causes us to come to this reality that no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Because of who God is and what our God has done, he is worthy of thanksgiving. And he is called to be the direct object, the one we fix our eyes and our lives around, that he is to be the center of all that we are. And when we do that, when he is the center of our life of thanksgiving because of who he is and what he has done, the rest of our life will begin to fall naturally in the places they're called to be. But if we distort that understanding, our life will not fit right. That's not how God designed us. So uh, let's look here at the very beginning. Because of who he is, he is worthy of thanksgiving. He is worthy of being the direct object, the one we focus our attention and our thanks ultimately to because of who he is. So I, I, I've jumped around a little bit for us. You'll notice in the, the selection there in the side of your text, 1, 3A, 4C, 5. I'm not playing bingo or anything. I'm just taking spots from these psalms because these two themes we're going to look at are so woven through the psalms uh, that, that this psalm in particular, as Stephen read it for us at the beginning of the service, but I want to be able to just put these together so you can see that, hey, these really are just woven into these little five, verse, five verses that make up Psalm 100. So the first of those is we notice because of who he is, by nature of who God is, he demands our thanksgiving. Look at the very beginning there in verse 1. It says very simply, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Of course, Lord, we know this, capital L-O-R-D is Yahweh. Y-H-W-H, we would say Yahweh, the personal name of, of the God of the universe, the triune Godhead. God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Yahweh, the personal God of creation. And the call for us is to, to, be, to make a joyful noise to Him. Who is to do this? All the earth. All the earth. So it's not just this part of the world is to make this joyful noise to God, but all the earth, because Yahweh is God of all the earth. Other religions may worship God with passion and fervor and be willing to die for what they believe for, but that doesn't make it true. There is but one God in all the universe. It is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. He's the personal God that demands from all the earth a call for us to give joyful thanks and praise to him. If we believe that, it will radically shift our life. It has to. It has to. Because he is the God of all the universe. It's a call of praise for everyone of all the universe, of all backgrounds, of all languages, of all tongues, of all, of all skin color, of everything. He really is the God of all the universe, and so that should impact how I live my life every day. That prejudice and, and racism is disgusting from God. It, it, it rejects the very essence of the text. That Yahweh is the God of all creation. And he's worthy of all of our praise. 
understand this theology, to worship God for who he is, it demands practical application in our daily life. Because of who God is, Yahweh is the Lord of all things. Look at verse 3. It says, know that the Lord, know that Yahweh, he is God. Know that Yahweh, he is God. This isn't a head nod to God. That's cheesier when I say it out loud than when before I said it. It's not a head nod to God. It's not a, a yes, no, let me pass this multiple question test about who God is. Know that the Lord, know that Yahweh, he is God, is a demand of submission to God. To know that the Lord, he is God, is to say, no, no, he really is God, I am not. There is a God and I am not him. That's the call that all of us are to make as human beings, as creations of God. There is a God and I am not him. He is worthy because he is uniquely other. He is worthy of all of our life. It's an attitude of submission to God. Look at 4, the very end of verse 4. Know that the Lord, he is God, but in verse 4, give thanks to him. Bless or praise his name. It is his very name that qualifies Yahweh to be praised. It's his very name that, that qualifies him, his reputation, who he is, that qualifies him to receive thanks from us in everything that we do. See, you and I are, are designed by God to be a thanksgiving people. We can't help it. It's who we are. We can't help but give thanks. It's wired into us. And so to do anything other is to live our life outside the bounds of how God has wired us. Now, maybe you hear this right away and you think, I've heard this before. I don't know if you have, but God sounds like an egomaniac. Have you heard that? But isn't he big enough and powerful enough that he shouldn't need my praise or need my thanks? Why would he demand such a thing of us? And sadly, that understanding misses the entire point that God giving us himself in Christ that God coming and calling us to give thanks to him is the greatest gift because we are made to be a thanksgiving people. We're made to be a praising people. And to praise or thank anything lower than God ultimately is not only to rob God of thanks, but is to distort our very lives. It is. If you don't believe me, look around the world. We're a people of thanksgiving and praise. Great job. You did amazing at that. Or you're incredible. But if we don't have Christ as our ultimate ends of our source of thanksgiving, we miss it. We're robbed. It would be like a world-class painter with a child. What's the greatest gift that the world-class painter could give the child? Would it be a painting? No. What's the greatest gift that the world-class painter could give to the child? His child. It's himself. This, this call to creation, sinful creation, you and I are broken and we do broken things, all of us do. The greatest gift that God can give us is this call in verse 4, give thanks to him, bless his name. It's a statement that is gracious, that you and I as broken people can know a holy God. That's right. We can know a holy God. And to set our affections upon anyone or anything else will be destructive to our lives. And it's destructive to the world. 
If you don't believe it, look around. Look around. It's a gift of graciousness that God gives us. Thank you, Lord, for that. And in verse 5, you see one, at least one specific attribute that we'll draw attention to. For the Lord is good. His goodness. Again, we, we worship God because of who He is. We're to thank God, Thanksgiving theology, because of who He is. And this attribute in verse 5, He is good. For the Lord is good. We can't know goodness apart from who God is. Mark 10, in Jesus' interaction, what does he say? There is no one good but God alone. This is the reality. None of us in here, regardless of, of, of how we dress or what we're accustomed to, none of us are good, are we? There is but one righteous one. There's one righteous, and that is Christ Jesus. And he's our hope. See, we don't have hope and come and sing because we're great. We, we, come, we have hope and we come and sing because he is great. Because he has come and he has laid his life down that the Son, the eternal Son, would come in obedience to the Father. The power of the Spirit, and he would come and he would take on flesh. The Son never ceasing to be God, maintaining full divinity, yet he would take on flesh, humanity. That he would need to eat, he would need to sleep. He would be tempted in all ways as we are, but he would lay his life down for us. He obeyed all the demands of the law and he laid his life down. And so that those who trust in him receive not only forgiveness for the things they've done, but they receive righteousness for the things that he has done. So that we can come and worship and sing because we're really forgiven. We can come and worship and sing because we can really know Yahweh, the God of creation and earth, the God that sustains our breath. We really can know him. We really can thank him. We're not throwing up smoke signals hoping maybe he'll get it. You can really know God. By trusting in Christ. This is unbelievable news. It's not an act of selfishness. It's the greatest act of grace because of his goodness. Because of his goodness. The Lord is worthy of our praise because of who he is. And he's also worthy of praise because of what he has done. Because of what he's done. Look at verse 3. Well, right there in the middle of verse 3. It says, It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I was able to go to our chapel Sunday school class. It meets at 9.30 in the morning on Sundays. And Bill Flynn does a wonderful job in there. And he, was, he drew attention to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It really is what the psalm writer is telling us here in verse 3, isn't it? It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It really is discipleship in a nutshell, isn't it? He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. He's the creator. I'm the creation. And the rest of our life, we tend to get that backwards, don't we? On our own. I am the shepherd. Jesus, you'll be my little sheep when I need you. I'm the creator. I'll determine what happens in my life. And Lord, maybe you help fix up my creation when I need your help. Isn't that right? Discipleship, the call of discipleship, the act of following Jesus as our King, is a constant reminder that the local church does together to remind us, hey, we're sheep. Hey, we have a good shepherd. Isn't that discipleship? And it's helping each other daily live out this reality. Whether you're a college student, a senior adult, whether you're wrestling with, with grief or, or, or sadness or, or joys or just busyness of life, it's to stop out of love for one another and say, hey, listen, 
Listen, he's the shepherd. We're the sheep. We are his. And he is ours. We are his. We are owned by Christ. Isn't that the very comforting thread of theology that drives Paul through 2 Timothy, the letter we looked at? That he would be able to write from a jail cell awaiting his execution. His comfort would be that, no, 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 there is a great shepherd. There is a great God. And he's still God, even though I'm in this jail cell. He's still God, no matter what the kings of the earth say. He's still God whenever you get the test results. He's still God when the places around the table begin to no longer be filled. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. We are a people for his own possession. We are a people for his own possession. We are owned. Paul says we were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We are owned. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. He is worthy of our thanks because of who he is and what he has done. And secondly, a sound theology of thanksgiving, it mandates that God is worthy of our response. A sound theology of thanksgiving. On the first side, we just looked at this reality that he's the direct object of our thanks. He's the direct object of our thanks. So though we experience good things and we experience, by God's grace, a good meal this week, hopefully, our thanks ultimately says, mmm, this is good, and we thank the hands that prepared it, but our thanks ultimately must go to who? The giver of all good gifts. So he's the direct object ultimately of all of our thanks, but this second reality mandates that God is worthy of a response, a response from two avenues, our lips and our lifestyle. Our lips and our lives. Our lips and our lives. Our lips and our... Very good. We're getting it down. Here we go. Bill of momentum. All right. A response from our lips. Look at verse 1 again. Shout for joy to the Lord. Shout for joy to Yahweh, all the earth. Or maybe your translation says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Have you ever heard that before? You know, I didn't realize when I was in middle school or high school or so, when people would say... I was, in a, I, I was asked to sing in a youth choir. Worst experience of my life. Traumatic. But people would say things like, you are making a joyful noise to the Lord. And I thought that was a nice thing to say, and I realized that's what you say to people that can't sing, right? Yeah, at least it's a joyful noise to the Lord. Like, you, good for you, you know? And I'm thinking, all right, good for No, wait, that's not nice. That's a, it's an insult, right? It's saying, I can't sing. That's okay. I'm clearly over it by now, as you can tell. <laughs> but shout for joy to the Lord. Make a joyful noise. Why can we make a joyful noise? Why can we make a joyful noise? Because what we're to do is for the Lord, and yet this is a struggle, isn't it? Uh, we have, uh, I don't know if I've shared this example before, but uh, we, we've been blessed with young Matthias, and uh, Sarah will ask me to do things because she's, caring for the child and everything else, and she'll ask me to go do things, and she doesn't remember until I get ready to go back and sit down again, and then she asks me again, and I go. And this is a child we've prayed for. Right? We didn't know a few years ago we'd ever even be able to have kids. Now we have two. And yet I find myself not doing it with a heart of gladness a lot of times. I do it, but my heart isn't always filled with joy. You ever relate to that? 
our worship as Christians can kind of be like that, can it? Lord, I know what you want me to do here. I know you want me to forgive this person. We do it, but our hearts maybe aren't right because they forgot this perspective. He's the shepherd, I'm the sheep, and we can shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. We can make a joyful noise with our lips all the earth because of what he's done for us. But when our mind drifts from that and it drifts onto ourselves as the center of our world, Gladness will not be there. Gladness will not be there. The key to joy and gladness is having a God-focused mindset. And we have to constantly, I do anyway, have to remind myself of that every day, every decision. Because how quickly I drift into some other area. Look at verse 2, halfway there through verse 2. He says, come into his presence with singing. Again, a response with our lips. Come into his presence with singing. This is a, a plural It's not singular, so he's not giving out individual statements. So he's not saying, Eric, Eric, you come into my presence with singing. Tina, Tina, you don't really like church people that much. So Tina, you just go into the woods and enjoy yourself. You sing there. I like it. It's great. Robert over here, Robert, listen, you don't like to sing, so Robert, you don't need to sing. You do what you want to do. Obviously, that's not how the text goes, is it? It's a plurality of command for the people of God to come into his presence with singing. That's one of the reasons I so enjoy Stephen's emphasis on calling us to worship. There's this, there's this sense at 1030, at the beginning of our service, where there's this clear transition from what normally has happened in our lives, the busyness of the moment, the busyness of the morning, everything that's happened till the day we come here to our, our church family campus, to where there's this stopping point that says, okay, let's fix our eyes. Let's fix our eyes on Christ together. There's this formal idea of come into his presence with singing. Here we go. Action. Not action on us. Action on the Lord. I like that a lot. In verse 4, he continues it on. He says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Bless his name. It's a continual idea. Give thanks to him continually. Bless his name. Have you ever felt like before in your life that you were overthanked for something? You did something small and maybe the person that you helped thanked you again and again and again. You ever have that feeling? You ever have that happen? Might be weeks later, and they, they say it again for like the fourth time. Hey, I just want to thank you again for what you did. And eventually you're like, okay, I feel like I need to start thanking you for thanking me so much at this point. I'm just creating this vicious thank you cycle. We can't do that to God, can we? God is the one that we can never outthink or overthink. We'll never be able to in our life. Look to a friend or a spouse or somebody and say, you know what, did I outdo my thanksgiving there to the Lord? Do you think I'm a little over the top with how I thank the Lord in that? That'll never happen. We are called to continually live a life of thanksgiving because he has redeemed us. He has purchased us. We are his people. We are his adopted kids for his glory. And that's a sweet reality. It's the same idea. I'll give you a second to flip there. It's real good. I want to read it. Just a verse. But look over to Hebrews Again, it's a text we're going to spend the month of December in. 
Hebrews 13, very last chapter. Towards the back of your Bible, you can keep Psalm there, Psalm 100 marked. But I want to point this out because it's so similar to verse 4. The author of Hebrews, speaking to, to ethnically Hebrew people that have come to faith in Christ, and this reminder to them, no, Jesus is greater than all those things. Don't, don't abandon Christ. And he gives this statement, I'm going to read it in a moment, Hebrews 13, 15, that sounds totally just like verse 4 of Psalm 100. So as you flip over there, I'm going to read Psalm 100, verse 4 again, and then I want to be able to walk through Psalm, or Hebrews 13, 15 together, because it's absolutely incredible. God's Word is just whew, perfectly woven together. I want to show you this is a thought not only from the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. It's woven through like a singular thread. Again, as a reminder, Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now let me read Hebrews 13, verse 15. The author says, Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Doesn't that sound like the exact same? Our lives are to be a continual offering of thanksgiving. Remember that when you spend time with family these holiday seasons. Remember that. My life is to be a continual offering of thanksgiving. And so in this trial, in this heartache, in this difficulty, how can I give God thanks? How can I give God thanks? A response with our lips and a response, of course, with our lifestyle. A response with our lifestyle. What does that look like? Here's a couple elements. Look at verse 2, the very beginning. What does it look like to give a response of thanksgiving with our lifestyle? Verse 2 it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. We serve the Lord with gladness. This is to be an element of our entire life. Gladness, that's to come forward in what we're doing. We're glad because we're focusing upon the goodness of our God. Serve the Lord with gladness, for the Lord, He is good. Jump forward to verse 3. Look a little further back. Verse 3, the very end of verse 3. We said it a moment ago, He is the shepherd, we are His sheep. The shepherd protects, the shepherd feeds, the shepherd guides, the shepherd disciplines. What's the responsibility of the sheep? To live obediently to the shepherd. That's our calling, to help each other live obediently, not to our emotions, not to the worldviews of this life, but to live obediently to our shepherd who's given us his word in abundance. We are his sheep. We are his sheep. We are the people of his kingdom. What does this look like very practically for us? How can I live my life in such a way that is in submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Look back at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his, course, and his courts with praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. You can't do that by accident. You didn't arrive at this spot by accident. Like very practically this morning, you logistically had to plan to get to this spot by accident. 
our lives will not drift into holiness. It's intentional. It's intentional. The good news of the gospel, the good news of Christ, is that we are His people. All who turn and trust in Jesus, all who look to Christ, find a perfect Savior. Regardless of what you've done, you are forgiven in Christ. If you will but turn from self and place your faith and trust in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has been seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he makes intercession for his people. The joy and the sweetness of living a lifestyle for Christ is that if we're intentional in the moment, and if we're intentional as our day begins, and if we're intentional throughout our day, and if we're intentional in our evening, our lives begin to look less and less like ourselves. Our marriages look less and less like they would naturally on our own. Our workplaces begin to look less and less like it was just us. And it begins to look more and more and more like Christ Jesus. Intentionality, a spirit of gladness in our lifestyle, and a purposeful response to point people to Christ. When you endure hardship, where you endure seasons of celebration, I thank my God. I thank my God. For he is great. He is my shepherd. I am his sheep. You can become his sheep as well. Look to Christ. Have forgiveness. Have eternal life. Have the shepherd. Our Lord is worthy of thanks from our lips and from our lifestyle. He's worthy of praise and thanks because of who He is and what He's done. And our call together as the church is to help each other live a thankful life in light of what our King has done. Not to earn His forgiveness, but because we've received His forgiveness as His kids. Is that good news? Is that a reason for thanks? I summarize this for our text in this way. Two helpful next steps questions. Two questions that I hope will drive you to application of what this means to be a people of thanksgiving. A first question. How can I be more intentional to make thanksgiving a part of my daily, ordinary life? This week, this week of thanksgiving. How can I be more intentional to make thanksgiving a part of my daily, ordinary life this week? So let's brainstorm. And again, these are resources for you to brainstorm what this looks like. If you're traveling to see family, what can you do in the car that will help your hearts to intentionally focus yourself on a spirit of thanksgiving before you speak to those family members? If you're hosting, what can you do practically this week to slow down and stop and think, thank you, Lord? How can you cultivate a spirit of thanksgiving in your personal life? What can you do this week to make that a reality? Brainstorm them, set goals, and write them down this week and practice them. And then secondly, since pride is the enemy of thanksgiving, pride is the enemy of thanksgiving, are there areas in my life that I'm currently carrying a spirit of entitlement that I need to confess to God? Are there areas in my life 
that I have a spirit of entitlement that says, do you know what I deserve? If we have a spirit of, I deserve this, we don't have a spirit of thanksgiving, do we? Is there an area in your life that's hiding, lurking, that says, do you know who I am, God? Do you know what I deserve? The gospel constantly tills that out of our life, doesn't it? That's what he does. That's what he does. And if there is, confess it. Confess it to your family, but there's no better time to live a surrendered life than right now. Than right now. Confess it to the Lord as we stand in just a moment and sing to our King. Confess the areas where the Spirit has convicted you. Confess it to the Lord unashamedly because you're standing with family. That's who our King is. It's what He's worthy of in our life. So let's surrender that out loud to our God. God, You are worthy of my life. You're worthy. Look through my life, God. Uncover the areas of pride that I have hidden in my heart. Expose them. And I surrender them to You. I give thanks to You. Jesus, thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever stopped? Three words. Thank you, Jesus. We can sing that together. Thank you, Jesus. We have reason to give thanks, don't we? Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand? Let's sing to our King. Jesus, thank you.